Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. You indeed have been faithful to your people from the beginning, even when we were unfaithful. Lord, teach us to follow you, to find in you our forgiveness and grace, and teach us what it means that you do really big things with small stuff. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God's peace to you, friends. As I mentioned earlier, the little passports that you received when you came in are intended to be for you to take some sermon notes if you would like to. And you might want to just bring that with you each week and uh, flip another page over as we go through the book of Exodus together during these Sundays in Lent. You may know the name Howard Rutledge. Howard Rutledge was an American fighter pilot who was shot down and captured by the North Vietnamese in 1965. His captors threw him into a prison in Hanoi, North Vietnam. That prison would come to be known as the infamous Hanoi Hilton. It was anything but a pleasant place to lodge, that is for sure. This was the same prison where the late Senator John McCain was held for five years. But Howard Rutledge had his own name for that terrible place. He referred to it as Heartbreak Hotel. And he had a terrible experience there, as did all of the POWs who were held there. In his book entitled, In the Presence of Mine Enemies, Howard Rutledge writes... When the door slammed shut, a feeling of utter loneliness swept over me. I was locked in a six-by-six cell. It's hard to describe what solitary confinement can do to defeat a person. There are no books, no magazines, no newspapers. The only colors you see are drab gray and dirt brown. You're locked in your filthy cell trying to keep your sanity. And he endured some terrible, terrible conditions. There was mistreatment, there was malnourishment, there was torture in ways we can only imagine. Howard Rutledge was in Heartbreak Hotel for seven years before he was finally released. Well, I dare say that we all know what it feels like to be locked up in heartbreak hotel of a different sort. The problem is that at first, it didn't really look like heartbreak hotel. In fact, it kind of looked like the promised land, at least at first, for a while. That moral indiscretion, no big deal. That financial dishonesty, no big deal. That small little white lie, no big deal. But the fact is, sooner or later, no big deal becomes a really big deal in time, doesn't it? What we thought was going to be the promised land soon becomes the death of a job, the death of a marriage, the death of our joy, the death of our hope. 
Satan slams the door shut and he says, Welcome to Heartbreak Hotel. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. That's what it feels like. Well, today we are beginning this new sermon series based on Moses' book called Exodus. And we're calling this series, Let My People Go. Because God had to communicate that message through Moses to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, more than once. Let my people go. You probably remember most of the story. Because of a famine in 1847 B.C., Jacob and his extended family, which was about 70 people in all, traveled from Canaan to Egypt where there was food. That's Exodus 1, verses 1 through 7 right there. Now, fast forward 300 years, and we come to Exodus 1, verse 8. Yeah, kind of interesting. We go from verse 7 to verse 8, and we've traveled 300 years. Exodus 1, verse 8 says, Then a new king, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. This king, or Pharaoh as he was known, saw that the Israelites were becoming too numerous for his comfort level. They were becoming too powerful in their land. And so what did Pharaoh do? You might say he created his own version of Heartbreak Hotel. And it was done really in several stages. Stage one of Heartbreak Hotel in Egypt was what we might call state slavery. He enslaved all the Israelites. Exodus 1.11 says, So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. So these Israelites were made slaves, and every Israelite slave was required to produce 3,000 bricks a day for the building of these cities. 3,000 a day. And you think you have a tough job. I don't think I'd sign up for that job. Just think about this. Try this. Try this. Get some water from a canal like they had to do. Pour it into a mud pit. Step up and down in that mud pit for a while. Then add some straw to the mud. Then let it dry in the sun And presto, you have a mud brick. Now, go and make 3,000 of those every day. Every one of you, 3,000 a day, every day with no time off. Doesn't sound like a lot of fun. That was stage one. Stage two of Heartbreak Hotel in Egypt was what we might call private infanticide. Exodus 1, 15 and 16 describes it this way. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puah, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. Wow. Wow. Infanticide. 
And God sees these two women, Shifra and Puah, who obey God and disobey Pharaoh's command. And what does God do? He puts both of their names in the Bible. Shifra and Puah are named. And Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth at the time, is not even mentioned by name in the Bible. Why is that? Because God does big things with small stuff. That's our theme for today. God does big things with small stuff. Now, stage three of Heartbreak Hotel in Egypt involved open genocide. It just got worse. Exodus 1.22 describes Pharaoh's public decree. He said, every boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Hmm. Kill all the baby boys. Sound familiar? Some 1,500 years later, a guy named Herod would say something eerily similar concerning the baby boys of Bethlehem. But this is Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And it's against this backdrop of Pharaoh's heartbreak hotel that Moses is born. That's the backdrop. So now we come to Exodus chapter 2 and the story of the birth of Moses. It says, Now a man of the tribe of Levi, whose name was Amram, married a Levite woman named Jochebed, And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Let's pause there. This son, of course, is Moses. He's later be given that name. And he is the couple's third child. So there's the older sister, Miriam, and there's an older brother, Aaron. And now comes child number three. The story continues. When she, that is Jochebed, the mother, saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months, obviously, out of fear over Pharaoh's declaration of genocide. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. She was going to put him in this basket. But let's pause for this part of the story. Here's something kind of interesting. This word translated basket is the same word that is translated ark as in Noah's ark back in the book of Genesis. Here this little ark in Exodus just like Noah's ark in Genesis is coated with tar and pitch so that it could float in the water. But now you say hey Noah's ark was so much bigger. Why is that? Well, because in the book of Exodus, God does big things with small stuff. Small stuff. So now the story goes on, and this baby boy is placed in the Nile River, and big sister Miriam goes running along the river's edge, and she watches as Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river to bathe with her servants in the Nile River. And then the servant of Pharaoh's daughter saw the basket and opened the basket and saw the baby inside. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. That is, Pharaoh's daughter felt sorry for the baby. 
Here, Moses is crying, and that changes everything. Isn't that interesting? The cry of a baby changes everything. Here in the book of Exodus, a baby's cry changes everything? Well, yes, of course, because God does big things with small stuff like babies and a baby's cry. The story continues. He was crying. She felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister, that is Miriam, asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Of course, she knew exactly who that would be. Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. Pause there for a moment. Notice how God has this whole scenario under his control. He's not going to let human efforts thwart his big plan. His big plan was going to be accomplished, and it would be accomplished through a whole series of small stuff. Then we come to the last verse of the story, verse 10. It says, When the child grew older, she, that is Jochebed, the mother, took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I brought him out of the water. By the way, the, the name Moses is from an Egyptian word meaning to bring out, to bring out. So it's an appropriate name, Moses, bring out. Yes, indeed, finally, someone comes along who will bring Israel out of Pharaoh's heartbreak hotel. And Moses is going to do that in a very unique way, isn't he? He's going to do it through what? He's going to do it through water, through water. Moses is going to part the Red Sea under God's power. How? By lifting his wooden staff. Think about that. God does really big things with small stuff like a wooden staff. Well, friends, I want you to understand that God sees you and me as well. He sees us in our prison, in our self-made heartbreak hotel, whatever that looks like for each of us. And God sees us trying to get out of our slavery, trying to get out of our prison. He sees us putting on our superman or superwoman cape, you know, as if we can save ourselves from our own predicament. But I've got some really, really bad news for you, a reality check. You are not a superhero, and neither am I. We can't fight our way out of the prison of sin. Our heartbreak hotel of our own making is not something we can escape from by our own power. We can't think our way out. We can't buy our way out. We can't educate our way out. We can't vacation our way out. And we certainly can't blast our way out. We're stuck in sin, in Heartbreak Hotel. But thankfully, I have some even better news. 
some really, really good news. And that is that God does big things with small stuff. And he proved it in the city of Bethlehem when he himself came down into this world in the form of a little baby boy who was born not in a fancy hospital or hotel, but was born in a stable, a simple little place, laid in a manger where animals recently ate. But out of small stuff, God did a big thing. In the person of Jesus, he brought us out of our prison of sin and death. He does it with really small stuff. If you think about the story of his passion and the tokens that are connected to that story, Jesus brings us out of our heartbreak hotel with simple things like bread and a chalice, a torch, a sword, a whip and a whipping post. Simple things like 30 pieces of silver and dice that are used to gamble on his clothing, simple things like a pitcher of gall and vinegar, a spear that would pierce his heart. And Jesus didn't recoil or run away or retreat when he saw us in our prison, when he saw us trapped in our heartbreak hotel. No, he didn't pull back. You know what he did? He stepped forward. He stepped right into our hellish prison, and through small things like nails, he did something big, really big. He took the punishment that you and I deserve for our sins. And he simply says, believe that I did this for you, and you will be set free. He had talked about that type of thing earlier in his ministry. In John 8, 36, we hear Jesus say, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Do you believe that is true? You see, for in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you are set free from whatever heartbreak hotel you've been imprisoned in for however long. Jesus alone can set us free. Howard Rutledge has more to say about his heartbreak hotel. He writes, I prayed for strength to make it through the ongoing night. Then, one day, a glimmer of light dawned through the bottom of my prison door. I knew that God would set me free. And he did. He did. Seven years later, Howard Rutledge was set free. And he gives his Christian testimony in his book. But friends, let's face it. Life gets dark sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes really dark. And what we thought was going to be the promised land is really heartbreak hotel. The devil wants to remind us, you can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. But ha! Is that really true? No, there is a glimmer of light dawning for us too, friends. Can you see it? Can you see the glimmer of light dawning? It's Easter's light. It's Easter deliverance there on the horizon 
ready for all of us. In fact, better yet, it is here for us right now. And it comes to us in some really small stuff. It comes to us in a simple word of promise from God when he promises, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. When he promises, whoever trusts in Jesus has eternal life. It comes to us in simple stuff like water, the water of our baptism by which we are cleansed and adopted into God's family. It comes to us in the simple things like the bread and wine of communion where Jesus gives us his very body and blood for the assurance of the forgiveness of our sins. And all of that, all of that small stuff God uses to set you free. And you are free indeed because of Jesus, the Son of God. Now I invite you to live in the joy of that freedom. And let that freedom joy ring out from your life that others too who are trapped in darkness might see that there is indeed a way out through Jesus. Next week, we're going to continue on our journey. We're going to journey into Exodus chapter 3. I invite you to bring your passports with you. Take some more notes on our way to the ultimate true promised land of heaven. Amen. And may the peace of God which passes human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.